Today we're starting a brand new series of messages entitled RE. R-E. It's kind of a cool little R-E thing. And really what it is, and, and I know we've had a lot of RE stuff, rethinking God, rethinking Jesus, rethinking the Holy Spirit, rethinking church, and that kind of took us to the summer. This RE is words in the Bible that start with R-E. Important words in the Bible that start with R-E. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 6. Or on your smartphone, your tablet, just, I just need you to get there. In your bulletin is a printout of the notes for today, some fill-in of the blanks. And it has all the references of the scriptures that I will be sharing with you this morning. So I'm really excited about the re-series. And we're talking about requests. That brings up this whole issue of prayer. And I'm just going to be honest with you. We're going to have an altar prayer at the end of the message. And I'm going to state my case why I believe in an altar of prayer at the end of the message. Here's what it says, Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Now, I would just like to take a quick survey. Who in here has never worried about anything in their life ever? Can we see your hand? Al Shelton. Sherry's looking at you like, I'm now really worried about you, buddy. We all struggle to worry. What's the antidote to anxiety? What's the antidote to worry? He gives you the answer. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request, let your request be made known unto God. Think about what the scripture, the apostle Paul just told us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about our approach to God in heaven. He simply says, present your requests to God. Isn't that awesome? I have no access to Barack Obama to present my request to him. You say, well, you can call the White House. It'll never get to him. You can shoot him an email. It'll never happen. Some staffer will get it. A low-paid person will get it and respond back and sign it. President Barack Obama. It just isn't going to happen. And it's true with all. But if you want to talk to God, you have a, a direct connection to present your requests to God. And it's through this avenue of prayer. During the Second World War, a group of office buildings was turned into what is commonly known, and if you go to England, you've got to go see this thing, Churchill's War Room. You see, what they thought is following the devastation of the First World War, they feared that 200,000 people would lose their lives in the bombing in a future war. And so they didn't want this fear to sweep over the city because the prime minister and the cabinet officials and the military leaders had left London. So they created this war room near the parliament building underneath these offices. They five foot of solid concrete, steel underneath and over it. And this became where Churchill lived. This became where military people met. And they had a, right beside the, the cabinet room, they had a map room. And the map room went 24-7 from the day it was open. And the light never went off on the war room or the map room until six years. Until many years even after the war. This was a place of protection. This was a place of strategic planning. And this was a place for them to hear from the prime minister. 
I mean, this was a place, historians will tell you, that Britain kept its independence because Churchill and others led the war from London in the war room. It's important. Churchill's cabinet met there 115 times, most often during the blitz of London and later during the German V-weapon offensive. And the cabinet war rooms were used 24 hours a day. In Luke chapter 11, turn there. The disciples saw Jesus in a war room. Well, it wasn't in a basement of, and, and some bunker. It was Jesus was praying. And evidently something so transcendent, something so undescribable happened as this disciple, and mayhaps, perhaps others, watched Jesus pray. And then in verse 1, he asked this incredible thing for Jesus to teach him. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. That is absolutely incredible if you read through the Gospel of Luke and realize where they had just been. Chapter 10 was kind of a, a series of discourses predicated on chapter 9 where Jesus did miracle after miracle. You go to Luke 9 and he fed 5,000 people. And the disciple didn't say, God, teach me to do miracles. Teach me to feed 5,000. Man, wouldn't we all like to have that kind of power and never have to pay a grocery bill again? Amen? But he didn't say, teach me to feed the masses. And then the disciples, or three of them, Peter, James, and John, saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, his body in a glorified state. He didn't say, Jesus, teach me to glorify my own body. Give me the splendor of transfiguration. He didn't say that. He saw Jesus heal a little boy who was possessed with a demonic spirit. And Jesus wasn't asked, to cast out, to teach him how to cast out demons. He said, listen, this is what I need you to do. I need you to teach me to pray. He said, I, I want to pray like you, Jesus. That connection you got with God, I, that's what I want. Evidently, when Jesus was presenting his request to God, it's so captivated this disciple's heart that he said, I don't want the miracles. I don't want the glory. I don't want the ability to cast out demons. I want to know how to pray. I want to know how to talk to God in such a way to present my request to God in such a way that I know, that I know, that I know I'm at one with God. And so Jesus did. Matter of fact, in verses 2, 3, and 4, you have the short version. The version most of us know is found in Matthew chapter 6. So flip there. It's the more expanded version. It's not the Lord's Prayer. I believe the Lord's Prayer is found in John 16 or 17. This is the model prayer. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. And here he makes four uh, requests that we need to present to God any time we pray. So you can title the message, Four Requests God Always Answers, or Four Requests to Always Pray in Your War Room, all right? So here we go. Number one, the first request, and you keep your Bibles open to Matthew 6, the first request is request God's presence with a worshipful heart. Request God's presence with a worshipful heart. 
Look at verse 9. It says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed. Hallowed. We don't use that phrase at all except for in October when we talk about Halloween. We, we rarely use the word hallowed. It's an important word. Man, it's a deep word. It's the Greek word, haliados. And I so messed that word up, but it means holy. It means pure. Jesus is saying, he said, when you come to my father, you have to recognize that he is holy. When you come to my father, you have to recognize he is pure. When you come to my father, you have to realize that he is set apart and he is so differently different than anything else that you have to compare anything to. And so when you come in the presence of God, You don't come with this flippant attitude. You don't come because you got three minutes and nothing else to do. You don't come because it's just part of the duty. It's part of the ritual. It's part of the routine. You come with a holy reverence for an awesome God. I was talking to Blake last night, and he was telling me about one of his classes that he had, and he was hanging out with this professor, and this professor is, I guess he's writing a book, but anyway, he's done a lot of study about revival, and why revival comes to some areas, because, man, you look at certain areas of the world, and the gospel is just exploding. Matter of fact, there's seven continents on the globe, and the gospel is exploding on six out of the seven continents. Can you guess which one it is not exploding on? Oh, it's ours. And we were kicking around, or he was sharing ideas. I asked him, I said, well, why did your professor think that was? And he kind of kicked around some things and knowing what I was going to preach on. I said, let me throw this out at you. I think we have forgotten the hallowedness of God's name. We have lost what it is to reverence God. To come in his presence with such awe. To come in his presence with such wonder. To come into his presence and realize the request that I am presenting to God. The person that I am talking to is the sovereign creator who rules over everything. He rules over it all. There's not anything outside of his control. So we've kind of lost that sense of holiness, that sense of wonder, and that sense of all. The reality is what the scripture is saying is when you're spending time in prayer with God, it's an act of worship, and worship must always be done with a worshipful heart. Worship is not just singing. You worship God when you pray. When you come to him with a holy heart, you have the opportunity to worship the creator of the universe. And for some of you, it's like, whoo, yes, I do that because I can't sing. For others, it's like, oh, man. I don't pray at all. And if you do pray, your prayer is junk. And I don't mean junk, I, that God doesn't care. It's just you pray these thoughtless prayers. You know what I'm saying? When my kids were little, and we'd say the blessing. You got to be real creative when you got 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old kids, and they hear you say the blessing every meal. My kids would ask them, why do you say the same thing? Well, the fact of the matter was just kind of the junk prayer. It was just a standard thing that I could say without thinking. And by the way, if you could say it without thinking, it's probably lost a bit of its meaning for you. 
when you pray, you re- present your requests to God. We have the opportunity to worship the creator of this universe. He's holy. He's all-powerful. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's big. And we are small, and so many times we get busy in life, and we forget about him. And we, when we come to God in prayer, we have to intentionally seek his presence with a worshipful heart as we enter into his holiness. So prayer, even though I say it's a personal conversation with a personal God, it is a conversation like none other. So the first RE is make your request with a worshipful heart. Secondly, request to know God's priorities. Look at verse 10. Request to know God's priorities. He said, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. Now let's make sure we understand something absolutely true. That everything that God wills is 100% completely done in heaven. Amen? Angels do his bidding. Everything is just, it's perfect heaven. Now by the way, everything in verse 10 is about his agenda, his kingdom agenda, and his kingdom priorities. And what most of us want to do is pray about our personal agendas and our personal priorities. When when was the last time that you just opened up before God and said, okay, God, what are you doing in this world and how can I be a part of what you're doing? What's your agenda today? Who do you want me to talk to today? Lay somebody on my heart that I can encourage. Lay somebody on my heart that I can share faith with. To lay somebody on my heart that I can be a blessing to. God, what is your agenda for me today? We don't pray like that, do we? Matter of fact, when we go through the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's like verse 10 doesn't even exist for most of us. Because we're more concerned with our agendas and our portfolios and our children and our bills and our payments and our health than we are his kingdom agenda that incorporates the whole world. And so most of the time, our prayers are way too small. If we do not pray with this understanding Of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your prayers are way too small. And you don't know the priorities of God. And so you got to request to know the priorities of God. See, here's the thing. When it comes to prayer, it's all about him. It's not about us. That has nothing to do with us. It's about him. Thy will be done. It's about who he is. It's about what he's doing. It's about what he wants to do today and what he wants us to do in his work. What are his priorities for us? How does he want us to spend our money? How many kids does he want us to have? Does he want us to adopt children? When so many times we come to him and we think he's like a cosmic Coke machine because I love Diet Coke, by the way, and because I like Diet Coke, all I got to do is ask God for Diet Coke and God just gives me Diet Coke and maybe I don't need Diet Coke today, but maybe there's other people who need me to give some money so that they can eat, but I'm more concerned about my little Diet Coke. It's kingdom agenda versus personal priorities. I guarantee you when Churchill and his cabinet members met in the war room, none of them talked about their jobs. 
None of them talked about being hungry. Their city was being bombed. It was under siege. Germany was advancing all throughout Europe. They were trying to get America to step into the war effort. And they knew the battle would be won or lost by having a kingdom perspective instead of a personal perspective. And the battle spiritually will be won or lost on the basis of whether you have a kingdom perspective or you have a personal perspective. Listen to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. It says, seek first his kingdom. His kingdom. That's the first thing you go after. Kingdom priorities. When you make a request to God, kingdom priorities. When you enter into his holiness and his majesty, it's kingdom priorities. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all of the rest, all of these things will be given to you as well. So what are you seeking? What are you praying about? You seek him first. The third request and that I want to throw out at you comes from this, is that request God's provision. Look at Matthew chapter 11, or chapter 6, bless you, in verse 11. And here's where most of us camp out. In this whole Lord's Prayer thing, the model prayer, we really don't hang out in the hallowed be your name. We really don't hang out in the thy, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But here's where most of us live in our prayers, isn't it? And it's not a bad place to live. But it's not the only place to live. Give us this day our daily bread. Because most of our prayers come down to about three or four things, don't they? God, bless us with health. Bless us with wealth. Watch over our loved ones and whatever else you throw in on the fourth one. Give us this day our daily bread. Nothing wrong with praying that prayer. But it wasn't the first thing that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. What even the second thing? It's tucked away, third or fourth, or depending on how you exegete the passage, maybe even fifth on down. It's not a wrong thing to pray, but it's if this is the only thing you're praying, you're missing it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we just read it, said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you do that, if you seek after the kingdom of Jinnah, if you realize you're entering into the holiness of God and you're praying and, and seeking what God wants you to do in his life, he's going to take care of you. Because he loves you. He will provide for you. I'm telling you, God is a provider. It's not us, it's him and some of us, we all have needs, and some of us, and some folks, their marriage is a, is a wreck. Ours is okay, by the way. I just kind of misspoke right there. We're doing fine. Don't think we're going to divorce court, Judge Judy, and all of that. We're good. Some folks are struggling financially. Some of you struggle with selfishness. So what is it that you need? What is it that you need? God supplies our needs. When God was trying to teach the nation of Israel who he was, he attached the name Jehovah Jireh comes from this epic story of Abraham when he went up to Mount Moriah and offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And God stopped him from killing his son and, and God provided a lamb. And so because God provided, he said that I am Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And thank God he still is the God that provides. 
But if all you do is go say, God, I need, 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 and you think God is your personal Coke machine, it isn't what prayer is all about. It's about entering into his holiness. It is about saying, God, your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. And then take care of my needs. Why? So I can focus more of my time on the kingdom agenda. Let me give you the fourth request. He says, forgive us of our sins. Pardon our sins. Matthew 6, 12 says this. And forgive us our debts. That's sins. Forgive us our sins. Say that with me. Forgive us our sins. No, no. Say it like you're sinners. Forgive us our sins. Say it. Forgive us our sins. I'm looking at you people. I'm telling you, some of you, when I say the word sin, most of the time you just drop eye contact. Right? Yeah. Can we we go back to uh, give us this day our daily bread? I like biscuits. Can we go go back to there? See, I think one of the crusts of the whole prayer right here that Jesus was teaching was that we need to confess personal sin. We don't like to do that. We like to cover it up. We like to act like it doesn't exist. We like to pretend that it isn't real. But he said, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Say that again. And forgive us our sins. All right, let's make it a little easier on you. Forgive my spouse their sins. You seem to be struggling. Kind of, remember the old show, Happy Days? Finding I'm, I'm, you know, you could never say I'm sorry. It's like a lot of us being, I've sinned. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that we're all sinners, even saved people sin. But the good news is, is we have an advocate with the Father. We have someone who pleads our case. We have someone who provides the payment of the sin debt that we owe to God in heaven. And that person is Jesus Christ. So when we sin, we say, Father, forgive me. And you know what? He says, I will. I will. You say, Pastor, you don't know how bad I've been. I don't care how bad that you've been, the grace of God goes deeper than the worst sin you have ever committed. So that when you tell Jesus in heaven, God, I am sorry for my sins. God says, forgiven, not because you said the words, but forgiven because Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, was buried in another man's grave, and on the third day rose again, triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. Got it? That's the basis of our forgiveness. So he says, confess your sins. And then you forgive other people their sins. Man, I'm looking at a lot of grudge holders here, amen? Oh, you can go ahead and amen. And he doesn't hang on. And he says, oh, man, I just hate that person. Why? Because 14 years ago. Really? Most people don't even remember what they did four days ago, let alone 14 years ago. I'm starting to hang around with a bunch of people who don't even remember what they did four minutes ago, let alone four days ago. Listen, forgiveness is a freeing thing. That's why I said forgive us our debts, freedom in Christ. 
and forgive our debtors. Freedom. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He talks about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now this is the part where we come to God and we ask him to forgive us of specific sin in our lives. And for some of you, you pray this once a week, and that's fine. And by the way, I'm not talking about being saved and lost and saved and lost and saved and lost. I'm just talking about, you know, when you're married to your spouse and you have a fuss and, and, and you work through the disagreement and you say, honey, I'm sorry. You, you don't get divorced and then remarried. You just, you're still married. You may want to kill each other, but you're still married and you work through that thing. So some of you pray that once a week. Some of you pray it every two minutes, you know, but, but because of the... The struggles you're in, but it just kind of depends where you're at. But this is literally, it's like falling down on your face before God. And you say, I want to ask your forgiveness for this sin in my life. Not because it hurts others, but yes, it did. But first of all, because my sin is an offense against your holiness. My sin is an offense against your kingdom agenda. My sin is against all the good things you have provided for me. And my sin is an offense to those that I love the most. So God, forgive me of my sins. Some of you guys, you're here and you need to ask for God's forgiveness. I'm talking about Christians. Man, for some of you, your life right now is out of control. We've been talking about lust and adultery and pornography the last four or five weeks. Maybe it's habits. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's gossip. I don't know what it is, but you know what it is. And some of you here, and you've asked for forgiveness, but you haven't forgiven yourself. And you're part of that, that verse is forgiven our debtors because you're a debtor to sin. Got the idea? There are Christians in this room who profess to love Jesus Christ, and you are walking around with a filthy heart. I almost wore a dirty shirt to preach in. I knew that my wife would have a hooey, and I knew that Rita would have a hooey if I preached in a dirty shirt. You would say, well, that would just be so inappropriate to preach at a dirty shirt. But why, is it appro- why then is it appropriate for people who say they represent a holy God, love a holy God, want to spend eternity with a holy God, why is it all of a sudden appropriate for us to walk around with a dirty heart? And we think that it's okay. That's hypocrisy. But there's others of you, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your your Lord and Savior. You're here, but you're not really a a Christ follower. Here's the thing I want you to know. You might be here just kind of kicking the tires and checking it out and seeing what we're all about. I'm telling you, this is the part of the prayer you need to pray. You need to take your request and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Here's what you need to take away from today. 2,000 years ago, a baby named Jesus came to this earth, and he came for you. And you know why he came? He came to take your sin. He came to take your hurt. He came to take your pain. He came to take your addictions. He came to take your challenges. He came to take your pain and he came to take it all upon himself. And he came and he took it. And he went to the cross and he died there on the cross. And on the cross for your sins and my sins, he shed his blood as in an eternal covenant covering 
for God on our behalf that if you and I would put our faith in him, that his love given to us, demonstrated to us by his shed blood would cover all of our sins if we would just go to him in the mess that we're in and say, Jesus, I am sorry. My life is a wreck. I am messed up, but I believe in you. I believe that you can help me and I believe that you will forgive me. And I'm telling you, when you pray that prayer, he doesn't think, he doesn't bat an eye immediately. He forgives you. The Bible says he casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. As far as the heavens are high above the earth, never to be remembered anymore. That ought to make a bunch of you shout because a bunch of you have told me what you used to do. Forgiven. And while other people, you may go to a high school reunion and they go, oh, you remember what you did back in the day? God will never go, do you remember what you did back in the day? He'll say, I remember the day when you went from what you were to what you are in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been running for a long time, today's the day to stop running. Some of you know the truth, but the truth, you haven't allowed the truth to penetrate your heart. Man, this is not the day to run. This is the day to stop your running. Jesus is calling your name. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to heal you. He wants to give you meaning. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to set you free. And if that's you, God's drawing you right now. Christian to confess sin and and an unbeliever to give his heart to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, today's the day. And if God is speaking to you, man, and... Just And you're saying, yes, that's me. And you're saying, I want Jesus. Man, I want to tell you right now how to have Jesus Christ in your heart. It starts with a very simple prayer. In fact, with all of us, Don's going to come out and, and, and just play a simple invitation song. My Jesus, I, I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Something like that. And if you're a Christian here and you got sin in your heart, man, we're going to have an altar prayer. And it's going to be the time for you to come. And if you are an unbeliever, I want you to join us at this altar of prayer. But I don't want you to join us as a sinner. I want you to join us as someone who has just asked Jesus into their heart. Some of you have been running long enough. And let's quit running. You say, well, what do I do? Here's what you do. You simply ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And it's done through prayer. You make a request And you say, Jesus, forgive me. And he does. So if you need the words, the prayer may sound something like this. And you can pray it in your heart. And after you pray this prayer, all I'm going to do, and nobody's looking around, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand just to let me know that you prayed that prayer and gave your heart to Jesus Christ. Because, man, that's, that's what we do here. We want to help you in your walk, in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you don't know Jesus, here's the prayer to pray. If you're not a Christian, here's the prayer to pray. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. You know what I've done? And you know where I've been. And I'm coming with one request. Forgive me. everything I've done wrong. 
I'll live for you from this day forward.